Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Thank you to all of you who have prayed for Jonathan. Um, I can remember when I was at my first churches up in Wisconsin, and I had grown up in a church that had a Cassavant organ. And I don't know if you know anything about a Cassavant organ, but it was played by one of the principal uh, piano teachers at the conservatory at Wheaton, and the music at College Church in Wheaton growing up was glorious. And so I, from a very young age, learned to love the organ. And then I went to these two churches where the organ in the country church was one of these things that had a cassette recorder built into the keyboard, and it had various, like, marimba and all these different beats you could get this drum to do inside the thing electronically, and then you could play with... And then, you know, people would give solos with a little boom box. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, in my other church in town, I I think I had 29 uh, uh, funerals in the first three years. And there was nobody under the age of 87 in that church. And I just remember thinking, Lord, could I someday have an organ? And uh, also some people our age in my churches. But I never thought to think, Lord, would you please send me a physician who is somebody who is, uh, who loves us and will care for our bodies. And so when Jonathan was sick this week and you go into the emergency room and there is Adam Spady. And it's like you die and go to heaven. Just to have him there and to know that he is watching absolutely everything that goes on and yet has perfect judgment and deference to the other people and their responsibilities. I referred to him this last week to Heather and Doug as a a truck mechanic's son who's been through the Herman Wells finishing school. (laughs) And so I want to express publicly my thankfulness to Adam. I can't tell you how often I depend on him, let alone you, to watch over the bodies of this church. And, uh, and I think that I should fulfill my vows in public and tell you my thankfulness to God that he's given us an elder who is a superb physician and who loves us and our children and our grandchildren and has the greatest discretion in how he helps us in our times of need. So anyhow, you all agree with me on that? Praise God. Thank you, God, for Adam. Jonathan is still up at uh, Riley. He's in good hands. And uh, what we would like you to pray for is that they'll find the source of bad blood circulation. It doesn't really matter what caused this bleeding. What really matters is what has caused his problems for years. And that has not been found yet. And so if he comes home without them finding that, then you live in constant fear 
of what the next thing. It's not the spleen this time. It's not the Pharisees. You just don't know what it will be. So would you pray? He's going to have a CAT scan today. And if that doesn't happen, hopefully they will order an MRI. And pray that God will show through one of these tests exactly what the problem is with his blood circulation. Would you do that? We would be happy. Jonathan's pretty special to me. And I want to say one other thing before we go to our text. You know, a lot of you know why Jonathan is special to me. But some of you don't, so I'll tell you. Jonathan has a very tender conscience. It's astounding his tender conscience before God. It really is. And that's something that is absolutely connected with his suffering physically. There was no question that you saw it develop as he went through a number of years ago the the problems with his spleen and other things. And, uh, And I say this on Mother's Day because I want all of you to understand That if your children have faith in Jesus Christ, the only way it happens is through suffering. And if you you sometimes wish to protect your children from getting a full picture of their own wickedness, you dote on them and you, 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 you are too tender with them and you don't rebuke them as you ought. Remember that the suffering of seeing their sin and hating it is what turns them to Christ. And so we live in a culture that hates suffering doesn't consider that suffering does anything good. But I can tell you, I don't know that anything good has ever happened in in me that has not come from pain. And we know that the cross was pain for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so if you see things in yourself and others and in Jonathan that are so strengthening to you spiritually, you remember the, the, the forge the anvil, the fire that has produced that in them. And it's very interesting. If we were today mourning the death of Jonathan, which we were nip and tuck on the verge of this week, and you think, I would not break up talking about the death of Bob and Janet's unborn child. You all realize this. But precious in the eyes of God is the death of his saints. And because we have not met that child of the sands, does not mean that that child is worth one bit less than Jonathan to God. And so this is an occasion for us to remember that David said what? And you know, it's kind of a weird way of saying this, but David said what? In sin did my mother conceive a blob. (laughs) No, what it says is, in sin did my mother conceive me. And so David, from the moment of conception, was a person. And so every single miscarriage, I was reading last night a review of a book uh, about a couple of biographies of John Quincy Adams and his wife, And so John Quincy Adams' mother really couldn't stand his wife. And one of the reasons was she kept having miscarriages. And and, uh, John Adams' wife felt that uh, that was an indication of uh, willfulness on the part of her daughter-in-law. Everybody want to go, yikes? 
After a while, though, when they lost a daughter over in, uh, I think it was in Paris or Russia, then she took great pity on her daughter-in-law, and there was a real sweet... But she had, I think, five kids and then nine miscarriages. Nine miscarriages. And I think that when we get to our text today, I think one of the first things that we must do as men who are married to women is recognize their grieving over miscarriages and understand that although we give personhood to a child when it's born and we see whether or not he looks like us or her, I shouldn't use the imperial way, not us, me. (laughs) I get such a kick out of myself sometimes, just watching me. Um, That our wives feel this little one in their womb and they love this child in a way that is very hard for us and that's the beginning of living with them in an understanding way. And so let's be tender towards Janet and everybody that has miscarriages in this church realizing that because we're stupid does not mean their mothers are. From the moment of conception there is a child made in the image of God All right, let's read our text. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true, 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Godliness and holiness and sanctification are not esoteric and misty and vaporous and heavenly and theoretical and hypothetical and they're real grunty and bloody and concrete and they have a smell they're as practical as practical can be and so when you go to the epistles of the New Testament you don't just find a bunch of vaporous exhortations to live in grace but rather you find very, very specific commands that are completely applicable to our lives. You never read the Bible and think, well, that doesn't apply to me, (laughs) right? Always it applies to us, and always it's very practical. And so the first thing to notice here is we look at our our, our, uh, word from God today is you husbands likewise and what we know from this is that the practical instructions that come are on a seesaw because the word likewise is the you know the thing the fulcrum right and so you husbands likewise then we know that the wives must have gotten their comeuppance because we know we just got ours right you husbands likewise, so in other words, what precedes this is, is a whole bunch of very specific instructions to wives, right? 
And now we come to the husbands. And the reason we're studying this text today is that it's Mother's Day. And so how can we live in such a way as to encourage the mothers? It's not, you know, carnations, I believe in flowers. I hope we always have flowers for mothers here every Mother's Day. But you all know that, you, you know, it doesn't quite cut it just to give your wife flowers, right? And so here's what God specifically, practically, concretely, here's what he commands to husbands. You husbands likewise, so the wife has the instructions the husband has. You husbands likewise live with your wives. Now, we pass that over because we're we're fixated on the weaker vessel. You know, we want to get to the section that's really obnoxious. And so we just trip right over top of live with, right? But you know that I've been doing a lot of writing on the book and that I go up to the Michigan house to do it. And shouldn't surprise you to know that the pastors and elders, I remember a time about nine months ago, Dave, Dave Carell said to me, you need to have your wife with you. You just tell your wife she's going with you. Now, why would David say that? You husbands likewise, what? Live with. I've noticed as I've been up there writing, I try to get Mary Lee to come up for a couple of days, um, and she's not resistant at all. She, she would much rather always be with me than her grandchildren. Um, <laughs> um, I've noticed that... Uh, when Mary Lee is not up there for a while, that I get into certain patterns. Now, I'm a pattern-creating man. I'm OCD to the max. I have patterns when I get up, when I go to sleep, what I drink when, what I have for dinner, whether or not I have lunch, whether the lights are on or off, how clean everything in the house is. And I'm alone, and you wouldn't believe how different that is from the situation where you're in a marriage, right? And there are a number of you who are single because you prefer the single life. But those of you that are married may not prefer the single life because the command of Scripture is to live with your wife, right? And so if you want to live without your wife, don't get married. But if you are married, this is the command of God, you are to live with your wife. Now, what application does this have to us? Well, those of us who are married, this means that if we have a job that takes us away a lot, we should feel this command and take it seriously and think how we can ameliorate our absence in such a way that it doesn't discourage us or our wife or cause our commitment to marriage to decline. And so, for instance, it makes a lot of sense that men who love their wives are regularly uh, on the phone with their wife when they're outside of town, right? Or they're Skyping when they're missionaries, or they're sending texts, or they're doing email, right? And so we know that uh, even with a job where you are on the road traveling all the time, there are steps you can take to live with your wife, right? 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 And so this isn't a, just this, this blunt hacking instrument of saying, live with your wife. And you say, okay, I'm living with my wife. You know that a man can live with his wife and have less intimacy than if he were out on the road as a traveling salesman. 
As a matter of fact, that's a problem of a number of marriages in this church. There are a number of you men who don't live with your wife even when you're in bed next to her. There is no intimacy. And that's a direct violation of this command of Scripture. We are not to live beside our wife, but to live with her. We are to love her. We are to be intimate with her. Do you know that a lot of the students of Scripture who write on this text talk about the necessity of sleeping in the same bed? The pulpit has become inane in the postmodern world. It's like, well, that was wonderful. And then you get home and I say to you, so what was it about? You say, I don't know, but it was wonderful. But after this sermon, you'll remember living with your wife means you should sleep in the same bed. I remember when I used to clean carpet for service master that I would go into these homes of older people where it was obvious that they slept in usually separate bedrooms, but sometimes separate beds. And, you know, in the full blush of youth, with all the pride that youthfulness gives you, and trust me, old people have it too. I, I have it worse now. But at that time, I was so easy to condemn older couples, you know, who, who, who had grown so hard-hearted that they didn't sleep with each other. Well, now I understand. I snore, and my wife is a light sleeper. And guess what? A woman who has a husband who snores and who is a light sleeper has to fight to live with her husband. Okay? Very practical, concrete, physical thing. And so I always, (laughs) you wouldn't know it from looking at me, but I always feel the pressure to lose weight so I won't snore and keep my wife awake. And I never lose weight, so unfortunately there's going to be a lot of me in this sermon and you just have to not despise me. All right? But live with your wife. That means intimacy. It means sleep in the same bed. It means be intimate physically. Right? Do you know in the Old Testament it commands a husband with more than one wife to not stop having sex with his least favorite? He's to maintain conjugal union with all of his wives. Now, I know we live in a romantic culture. It's inconceivable to us how they could have ever had such horrible situations in the Old Testament. But, you know, what we've replaced it with is serial monogamy, where everybody gets divorced and remarried and divorced and remarried. So let's not think that other people are stupid and we're smart or other people hated women and we love them. Live with your wife. Live with her. Now, that's the first command, live with her. Then, in an understanding way, but before we go into in an understanding way, can we go a little bit further so that we understand how to live with them in an understanding way? It's going to be modified. Let's look at the modification and then think about living in an understanding way. It says, in an understanding, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. Now, I always tell people, that if you were to want to write something that would be an absolute neutron bomb 
against every conceit of our culture, all you have to do is open the Bible. Did you notice the one in our scripture lesson this morning? I mean, it is a neutron bomb. Did you notice it? Anybody see a neutron bomb in our scripture lesson this morning? Anybody? Okay, come on, tell me. Not you, you. What's your name? Justin. Are you the... You are. Oh, I'm glad you're alive. He just had a horrible accident. Did you go to the hospital for your collarbone? Would you come to the pastor if you'd... All right. I was worried about you yesterday not going to the doctor. It wasn't ID. Where are you, D? Yeah. Okay, now go on. Say it. What? Oh, okay, spitting out, yeah, 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 because you're neither hot nor cold. Close, but wrong. But I'm glad for the initiative. Okay, come on. Huh? Yeah! Right on, Wizzy. Listen to this, you guys. Now, who is speaking in our scripture lesson today? It's Jesus. Jesus is giving word for word a direct message to the church of Philadelphia, the church of Laodicea. Here's what Jesus says. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Now, can can we please open our eyes and see? This is a neutron bomb. Can you imagine any pastor today referring to a particular group of Jews as belonging to a synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews, but they lie? Come on, guys. You know, come on. Stop and smell the roses. It is maybe the most offensive thing that you could say in the Western world today. Come on, wake up. How do you have the Son of God saying that a synagogue of Jews, this is the post-Holocaust world, is a synagogue of Satan and that they claim to be Jews and they're not. And they were Jews. In other words, Mary Lee is about to go over to the Holy Land for a couple of weeks. Next Saturday she's leaving. All right, she's going to go with her family and some other people and be led by an Old Testament professor from Wheaton. And so I've been doing a lot of work setting up some of the trip, right? And everywhere you go in Israel, what is, it's Hebrew, it's the Sabbath, it's the Holy Land, it's Jew. And imagine if Mary Lee were to go over there and she were to say, you're not a Jew, you're not a Jew, you're not a Jew, this is a synagogue of Satan. Okay, now is this making this more real? You cannot say that because we live in a post-Holocaust world. And if we could, we would remove those words from the mouth of Jesus. Because they appear to be genocidal. As a matter of fact, if we're thinking properly, we will immediately conclude it was precisely that kind of language in the New Testament that caused the Holocaust. And so that needs to be removed from Scripture. 
But you know, the Bibles that have taken out Jews from the book of John, the Gospel of John, have not yet touched this text in Revelation. And of course, what's the reason? Well, the reason is that they have a faulty view of the doctrine of inspiration. They think that the Gospel of John is less inspired than the words of Jesus, because the words of Jesus in Revelation are in red. Right? Now, I'm trying to get you to feel the fact that you cannot read Scripture and submit to the authority of the Word of God and be a pleasant companion in the postmodern boat or bus style. Now you're softened up to hear our text, which is almost as intensely destructive of postmodernism, where it says, live with your wife as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. Is Hillary Clinton... A weaker vessel? She will be your president. I've been telling you that for 15 years. She will be your president. Is she a weaker vessel? In what way is Hillary Clinton a weaker vessel? Since she is a woman, Listen, unless we begin to see the ways that Scripture destroys the conceits of the postmodern, destroys political correctness, destroys uh, every single thing that our world is absolutely certain that it knows and that is truth, unless we begin to see what's going on and see that we have to choose whom we will serve. We must serve God or man, but we can't serve both. We must see who we have to fear. We have to fear God or man. We can't fear both, right? Until we begin to be sensitive and to feel the pressure that God's word puts us under. Some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, it's not God's word putting me in this pressure, it's you. I say, no, I'm just shoving your nose in it. Yeah, I'm the guy that is paid to get up here and shove your nose into the word of God, which is sweeter than honey. But you're not going to know it's sweeter than honey until you see what you have to vomit out of you. And it requires something that violent to deal with the post-Holocaust world and the nature of God's covenant people. It requires something that violent to deal with the issue of what it means to be a woman. Do you all see this? Imagine trying to pull a parasite that's six feet long out of the body of somebody from the tropics. Okay, does that make the image clear? That is how much you are owned by feminism today. Now let me give you an example because I see this everywhere. Because I'm constantly wrestling with you to get you to turn away from lies to truth. So yesterday I'm up at Riley's, uh, Riley Children's, and they bring in an x-ray machine to give Jonathan an x-ray. And when they get done, they take it out to the hallway, 
and they put it in a little cubicle. And because I'm trying to make myself scarce, which is hard to do when you're 256 too, I get out of the, the room, the, the drapery place, because there's already too many people in there and I'm trying to like sort of not be there. And I'm next to this x-ray machine and I look down at the x-ray machine and I see on the x-ray machine, I have it here on my phone. I took a picture of it. If you want to see afterwards, I have a picture. Wish I could put it up there, but I can't. But I see on this x-ray machine something that, that I must tell you. It causes me pain on just the, the deepest existential level. And, and it's a pain that is, that is abiding. Because I saw on that screen, it, you know, it was a rolling x-ray machine, and so they had this, uh, like, screensaver thing that would sort of, you know, but there was a predominant picture, and it was there. It just would not leave, and it was awful. It was a picture of a little skeleton, and then another little one slightly larger, and then a large skeleton, smaller and thinner, and then a large skeleton, holding hands, and I just felt so, uh, so grieved at this sort of normative public display of heterosexism and patriarchy. I thought, there's nowhere I can go and escape it. Here I am, minding my own business in Riley. And there's an x-ray machine with a picture. And it's again relegating me to second-class citizenship and robbing me of my unique tapestry of gender identity and my, my affirming of women's superior strength and being able to be warriors. And, and here is a man holding the hand of a woman. She's smaller than he is. And it's obvious it's not a homosexual marriage with homosexual children or children of homosexuals. It's heterosexual normative oppression Now listen, you think I'm, I'm joking. I'm not joking with you. You know, doggone well, within a year or two, that picture will be gone. Do you see? Because that picture must subordinate itself to ideology and must not express the truth about human nature and about bodies. Do you see this? And so you have a woman whose body is weaker than the man's. It's obvious. And then children whose bodies are weaker than their parents. And I wonder, when are we going to get there? I mean, for heaven's sakes, in Liberia they had it. They had children who oppressed them. If we have women who rule over us, why can't we have children who... Why can't we have children be our combatants? What? It's crazy to send mothers over to be combatants in the U.S. Army when we could send our children. And so then we don't even see the fact that they're shorter than their parents. You see? Are you with me? In other words, when the Bible says, with understanding, live with her in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, and then it says, since what? Since what? Since she is a woman. People, 
you can either believe all the lies that every single web page, every single idiot tells you. And you can think, well, they have PhDs. <laughs> or you can honor God and trust his word, and then all of a sudden life will begin to make sense to you. Because then you'll remember that a man is supposed to stand up when a woman comes into a room. And then you'll think, well, you know, if dead people really are smarter than living people, why do men get up when a woman enters the room? And then you'll remember because she is the weaker vessel. And the strong honors the weak. Live with her in an honoring way. And then all of a sudden, holding doors makes sense. And not eating until your mother takes the first bite makes sense. And a whole area of life that we are so stupid that we just have dropped and it's dead is going to come back to life among Christians. Because what? Because this, this treatment of women only came out of Christendom. You don't find this in places that aren't Christian. Are you kidding me? Women have never been liberated outside of Christianity. They've been treated like chattel at best. Treated the way women are treated in Thailand. Why do you think all the men in America are going to Thailand? Come on. You cannot serve and listen to this world and be godly. It is a fight to the death. And you must make your decision whether you believe that a woman is weak because she's a woman. Weaker. Now, if you will submit to scripture and say, yes, a woman is weaker because she's a woman, now we're all back on board again, okay? We're all on the same train, on the same card, going in the same direction, and, and we can begin to work together, right? And so now you know that you're to live with her in an understanding way. Because, why? She's a woman. And therefore she's weaker. Now what does it mean to live in an understanding way? Now, this is going to make you uncomfortable, but I want to confess publicly something that all of you who know me already know, which is, I would prefer to never understand Mary Lee, my wife. Okay? It seems complicated to me. And I bear some sickening resemblance to the country song, I want to talk about me. Okay? And these are confessions of wickedness and sin and lack of sanctification. I know. Why do I not want to live with my wife in an understanding way? Because it's hard work to understand. And men love that cartoon that has a radio plate. And it's separated at the halfway mark. And the top is male and the bottom is female. And the top has one switch with a labeling on off. And the bottom has countless dials, buttons, graphs. I mean, it's the most complicated thing you've ever seen in your life. So at the top, there's a switch on off, and at the bottom, who knows what there is? That's how every man looks at his wife. A mystery in an enigma. 
Trying to understand your wife is hard work. It, it, it is hard work. And so yesterday, when Mary Lee left to go up to Riley, I said to her, would you stop on the way home and would you buy some bread? Stop at a good store and get some good bread. Now, we both agree that that's what I said, right? Okay. So she gets home, and because she loves her grandchildren, my stomach is growling by the time, right? And so I'm already a bit of a bear, and so I lay into her because the bread she brings into my home is wrapped in a fresh-style wrapper. And if you know anything about that, that means it's from Walmart. And I don't care what construction you come up with, you're never going to argue to me that that French bread bought at Walmart constitutes stopping at a good store for a good loaf of French bread. Okay? You can't argue that Walmart is a good store. Now, now hold on, hold on. (laughs) Okay? If you have a place that you want to get good French bread at a good store, you don't immediately think, Walmart! Right? Okay, now, I then say to her, something on the order, and I'm cleaning it up, does what I want matter to you at all? (laughs) I told you, don't despise me. Come on, come on. Now, some women are hating me right now. I don't blame you, but listen... And I go on this theme for a while. And a couple of times, Mary Lee tries to explain herself, and what do I say? Come on, John. Come on, what do I say? I don't want to hear it. Now, John said, I was looking at you, but John said it because he's lived with me. <laughs> Lizzie's lived with me, too. You guys all know me. One of the benefits of being older is that you begin to know what's coming before it comes. And in this particular discussion, or harangue, it would be fair to call it a harangue, I realized very early in that this was a dead-end road and I was going to smack up against a wall. What was the wall? The wall was going to be repentance and asking of forgiveness. But I wasn't ready for that wall yet. And so I sort of viewed it approaching, but tried to stiff arm it, you know, and kept going high and mighty, you know, about how I don't matter in this home, and I'm I'm not going to even tell you what I said. It was awful. (laughs) Okay? And then in the middle of my conversation, should I say monologue, I said to Mary Lee, I'm wrong, and nothing I've said is true. I know that you are right, that you bought that bread, because after I asked you to stop at a good store and get a good loaf of bread, I then said to you, let's have brats with rolls. And I know that it makes sense to you to not be concerned about the bread once we've changed the menu and we're going to have other bread because, you know, you know. And I said, furthermore, it could well be that Walmart French bread is as good as Marsh or the bakehouse. 
And if it was as good, I'm actually happy to have Walmart bread because more business we give to Walmart, the happier I am. And if you don't understand that, it's because I used to live on the east side. And it's a whole sort of class culture thing for me now. Okay? I love Walmart. I love Goodwill. I love rehabbing ugly split levels. I love buying salvage titles. Are you with me? And so I'm into Walmart if they can do French bread well. But here's the interesting thing. We don't know because that bread's unopened at home because we were having brats and rolls. And so what's the sense of having French bread? Now listen to me. This is your life in your marriage. This is it. I don't want to hear her reasons I want her to know what I want, and that is the classic Christian husband who lives with his wife in a misunderstanding or a intentionally um, godless, loveless way with his wife. Now, in this particular case, it did not require me remembering that she was a woman and weaker to live with her in an an understanding way. You understand that? Because there was no weakness or failure on her part at all. But people, you have a wife who is weaker and therefore requires you to live with her in an understanding way and requires you not only to ask her why she did what she did and to be sympathetic, but at other times to know why she's trying to do something that's wrong and for you to say, no, you will not do it. You see, on Mother's Day, everybody's fine with me confessing my sin, and I was such a you-know-what, right? But now I come over here and I say, do you, know that, um, do you know that there's a word that describes every child of uh, conservative Christian families today? And it's a word that maybe only Brian Bailey and David Canfield will know, and probably John. The word is... Feckless. Feckless. Do you know that it is the almost inevitable result of a husband not living with his wife in an understanding way because she's a weaker vessel that we have the church of Jesus Christ today filled with feckless men. Now, what is a feckless man? A feckless man is a man who has no motivation, no sense of responsibility, and you might know him as mama's boy. His initiative has been destroyed by his cloying mother. Now, listen to me. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way as a weaker vessel since she is a woman. And that means that one of the ways you live with her in an understanding way is that you discipline her cloying fear that she is afraid for her child and consequently won't let him lose an arm when he's young so he doesn't lose his life when he's 18. Now I know you don't, I don't really mean you should have a child that loses his arm. But you, you, you get my point. 
that the father protects risk when his sons are growing up. He protects the sons from having their mother remove it from their lives. He lets them have pain. He tells them to shut up and stop crying. Not when they just lost their arm, okay? <laughs> you know, but emotionally, you know, when they're, nah, nah, nah. you know, Amy took my... Even if Annie is twice his size and oppressive. <laughs> right? All right, we're almost done. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. You remember how I said earlier that only in Christendom is there dignity given to women. Why are women given dignity in Christendom? Because they're fellow heirs with us. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ. We're all one in Christ. Look at the women here. Look at them. Turn around. Look at the women here. What are you going to do? Come on, turn around. I told you to turn around. Look at the women. All right. You see these women here? What are you going to do? You're going to demean them? You're going to commit adultery on them? They're the mother of your children. They're your mother. They're your sister. They're your daughter. Lucy Cabrera is a mother of this church. We can act like we don't see Lucy because she acts like she doesn't see us. Do you know who Lucy Cabrera is? Or have you been successful in avoiding a mother in Israel in our very midst? Huh? Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. In what way are our prayers hindered when we live with our mothers and sisters and daughters without understanding? The reason that it's connected with our prayers is, have any of you the same problem I have, which is that many, many, many worship services, when you come to the prayer of confession, you don't want to pray it because you're still angry at your husband or your wife? You're bitter? You're resentful? or because you yelled at her, or you were snotty to him, and you don't want to repent of it, you know? Worship at the beginning with prayer kind of brings you to the wall I was talking about earlier. You know, it's like in the middle of my harangue, Mary Lee had said, shall we pray? (laughs) Things you don't want to do as a wife, trust me. Let your husband hit the wall at his own time of choosing, okay? (laughs) In other words, Jesus said what? He said, when you bring a gift to the altar and you realize your brother has ought against you, set your gift down and first go and make it right with your brother. We should be praying with each other at home We certainly do pray with one another at church, and there cannot be wrath and anger and bitterness. 
And so listen, talk during worship services with your husband or wife. Okay? Make things right at home. Don't just go through these rote prayers at the beginning of uh, your meals together. But when there's cleaning up that needs to happen, clean it up. Okay? Otherwise, you're a feckless husband. Take responsibility for your marriage and your home. Okay? And then your children will be happy and your wife's motherhood will blossom. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are so helpful to us in everything that you put down on the pages of Scripture. Forgive me, Father, for not loving my wife and not understanding her. And I pray, Father, that I will be a model of understanding towards Mary Lee and my daughters and daughters-in-law and the women of this church, and that this will be the church that is known in this community for honoring its mothers, we pray in Jesus' name.